Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. today is a superstar of Australian women's basketball and will captain the Opals in their Olympic campaign in Tokyo. Closer to home, she's a club leader, a three-time WNBL champion. She's won medals at Olympics, Commonwealth Games and World Cups and works just as hard off the court as a Lifeline Australia community custodian. Our trailblazer today is Jenna O'Hay. Jenna O'Hay, welcome to Trailblazers. We saw fabulous shots of you recently holding a boarding pass for Tokyo. Is the excitement finally real? I think so. <laughs> um, it sort of seems to be just a hell of a long time coming, but um, to receive that boarding pass was a real thrill and it's getting pretty close to um, when the Opals head overseas now. So how are the preparations going? COVID's played havoc with the team preparations. How are you all dealing with that? Yeah, I think um, everyone's obviously dealing with it differently. Um, we've got a lot of people playing the WNBA at the moment over in America, so they've got some really good prep playing, you know, the best competition in the world at the moment. Our head coach is over there, so they're uh, in good prep. There's three of us in Victoria, so our preparation is a little bit, what can I say, it's just not ideal, but um, we're still getting in uh, some individual training and we trained against, competed against some guys the other day, so we're trying to keep... Um, you know, rhythm and routine as much as we can, given the circumstances. Bit of three-on-three basketball happening. Uh, what, are the, <laughs> what are the movements in the next month in the lead-up uh, for the team? When do you actually all gather? Uh, yeah, so uh, those in Australia, um, we're departing Australia on the 5th of July and we head over to Las Vegas. So we'll meet all the team in Vegas. We'll have uh, a couple of games against definitely USA and Nigeria. And I, I think there's another team there as well. So I've got a couple of really good hit outs before we had all head over uh, to Tokyo uh, before the game starts. So it's good we're able to get some games together because it's been a long time uh, between games for us together. Uh, so hopefully we can come together quickly and um, then be r- raring to go uh, once we hit Tokyo. A trip to Vegas, that's normally a postseason thing, isn't it? look there's going to be a lot of protocols in place it won't be your regular (laughs) vegas trip this one (laughs) ah what a shame great you're getting to play the usa they're such a traditional rival for the team how do you see that helping your preparations will you get a bit of a barometer about where you're at yeah i think so you know they haven't played together a lot either so they'll be coming together on short notice so we'll be in a pretty similar position so that'll be a great hit out for us uh the last time we played them was in the 
gold medal game at the World Cup in 2018, where we unfortunately lost. So we'll get a good gauge on, yeah, where we're placed and a lot of things that, yeah, we can work on leading into Tokyo before that first game against Belgium. Just so exciting to hear you say the words lead into Tokyo. Are you nervous about the implications of COVID-19 on the campaign? Oh, I'd be lying if I said I hadn't been thinking about it. There's obviously going to be protocols in place to keep the athletes safe as well as um, the people of Japan safe as well. Um, but it's definitely in the forefront of all our minds. But the priority is to play basketball. So it's going to be absolutely a different look and feel to previous Olympics. But we're going over there with a the goal in mind and um, whatever it takes to achieve that goal, we'll be doing. Yeah, uh, of course, the word out of Tokyo has been pretty mixed regarding them hosting the games. What's your thoughts on that, given what we saw recently in India with the IPL? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, the IOC, the IOC um, are putting in all the protocols that they need to, um, that we'll all be abiding by, we'll be testing a lot. Um, in terms of what the Japanese public and the medical um, people over there are saying um, I'm trying not to listen too much to it. I'm just trying to keep my focus on um, playing basketball and um, just yeah doing what I can to be over there. We're all vaccinated now. We've had our second Pfizer shot so hopefully we can all stay safe. Japanese people can stay safe and um, we can get this game through sort of unscathed I guess. How did you go with the vaccination physically? Oh, after the first one, it felt like a convoy of trucks had run over me. I didn't leave wow. bed for <laughs> about two or three days. I, but the, after the second one, I was fine. Um, so I think everyone reacts differently. And yeah, that first shot um, yeah, got me for a doozy. Yeah, I can imagine. I had, uh, I've had my first one and it uh, put my left arm out of action for a while. I was thinking it wouldn't be good to be a, a sports person and have that happen. <laughs> how, how have you adapted mentally? The last 12 to 15 months have been such an uncertain time. What were your thoughts when the Olympics were first postponed? Oh, yeah, I was in a pretty dark place. Considered retirement. Um, it wasn't, you know, you <laughs> Being an athlete isn't easy, keeping your body in tip-top shape and your mind sort of um, focused. So for me, I thought that was sort of my um, Australian career done. But hearing that the World Cup for women's basketball is going to be in Australia in 2022 sort of changed my mindset. And um, I was able to rehab some injuries and sort of step away from the game a little bit, which I think has helped really enjoy this lead-in preparation and going to camps and stuff. So. I think the original, yeah, hearing it originally just really knocked me around. But I'm refreshed and rejuvenated and, yeah, ready to get over there and compete. Oh, blessing in disguise. And uh, far from yes. your Australian career being over, you've got the captain's role. Does that change your approach? Does it change my approach? A little bit. Um, I think uh, when I was picked in London, uh, all I thought about was basketball. I just wanted to play my best. And I guess um, being one of the leaders of the team, I'm um, asking a lot of questions and making sure everything's safe moving forward for us. I just want the best interest for the other 11 players in our team. So I guess um, it changes in that aspect. And I think being a leader, you do sacrifice a little bit here and there. And um, I'm willing to do whatever it takes for us to get the highest medal possible uh, come Tokyo. Well, there's so many big personalities in your team. How do you manage all of that? 
Uh, I think uh, you have to manage them all very differently. There are some big personalities. There's also um, some quieter types in our team and uh, you have to deal with them all on an individual basis. And I think with the team that's been selected, I've played with, uh, I'm pretty sure, all of them. So I'm pretty um, aware of what works for them and what doesn't. And, you know, some people I can encourage a little bit more than others and some people I can get on their ass a little bit more. So <laughs> I've definitely um, learned sort of what works best for each personality and um, each player. So uh, hoping to get the best out of all of them. Yeah, well, Liz Cambage is a huge talent and a huge personality. What's it like to work with someone who has such a voice on and off the court? Yeah, we've known each other for a lot of, for a long time, since she was about 16 or 17. So we have a tremendous respect for one another and I value her opinions and um, we work really well together. Uh, she listens to me and I can listen to her and we, I think, um, play together very well and personality-wise we are very different, but I think that works for us. I just think it would be pretty hard if we were both hot-headed, so she can be sort of the passionate and um, energetic one and then um, I can sort of come through with a bit more of a cool, calm, collected head. I love the way Liz is not afraid to speak out on issues and, and one she did that on, the, the lack of representation for people of colour in the Olympic uniform release. Did you feel that Liz was properly heard on that issue? I think for sure she was heard. There was another announcement um, not long after that and uh, I think representation was much better. So she was definitely heard and um, people listen when she talks. So I think um, full credit to her for standing up for what she believes in and making change. Yeah, well, the comments from a male coach about her weight, he certainly uh, copped it with both barrels. Uh, athletes, I think, feel these jibes as much as anyone in the public eye. Do you find comments like that frustrating and really, quite frankly, insulting? Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, of course we do. You know, we put ourselves out there and try to perform um, the best we can. And I think with an athlete, there's going to, there's going to be criticism. And I guess it's um, part of being an elite athlete and being in the public eye. Um, I try and not listen to it too much and just try and perform my best. Um, but, you know, sometimes you definitely do hear things that really sort of knock your confidence about. And mm. it's not easy what we do, um, mm. especially being a woman, woman athlete. Um, we don't get compensated like the men. And then to hear things like that, it is really difficult. So, but, you know, it's, also part and parcel of being in the public eye. Well, speaking of physical appearances, Jenna, the bodysuit is back. What's the story behind that? Yeah, um, that was um, player-driven. We haven't worn a bodysuit since the 2008 Beijing Olympics and um, it was something that uh, we as a playing group wanted back, looking back over the decades of success of the Opals. You see those players um, celebrating that success in an Opal's bodysuit. Um, it's not going to be for every tournament and every event. It will be for World Cup and Olympics only. And it's sort of like the baggy green cap. It's an honour and a privilege to make a World Cup or an um, Olympic team and you get to wear the bodysuit. And hopefully we can do uh, the previous Opal's proud in that bodysuit um, in Tokyo. I have no doubt you will. Now, everyone bangs on about the Opal's chase for Olympic gold. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, we haven't got it yet, so it's not surprising. I think we've been very successful, but we haven't got that gold medal, and that's always the goal. And 
uh, we definitely have a team that is capable. If um, we play well and play together, and uh, yeah, it's always been the goal and always will be the goal. So hopefully this year is the year. Jenna O'Hay has had plenty of success on home soil as well. Next up, we talk WNBL. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Opal's captain Jenna O'Hay is our trailblazer today. Jenna, the WNBL hub in North Queensland, a championship was the reward, but what was life like in the hub? Oh, I hated it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If I'm being completely honest, I'm so glad that we were able to finish with a championship to make it worthwhile because I found it extremely difficult. Um, Being in that bubble environment is not normal. Mm. Um, I very much like my own space. Um, I live by myself. Um, And so to go into a bubble where just everywhere you go, you see an opposition um, player or coach or referee. They just seem, I was just surrounded by basketball all the time and I love basketball, but I need a release. And just in that environment, it wasn't possible. So I actually, I found it extremely difficult and I hope we don't need to go back into that. I've heard the AFL players sort of say the same thing. If that's what's happening this season, they're not for it. And I completely understand mentally, um, and physically, it was um, really challenging. We were playing every other day because it was a condensed season, um, just a lot of games in a short amount of time. Um, so just so mm. thankful that we were able to pull it off and win a championship and make that worthwhile. But I hope that's the last of that. <laughs> so how did you stay sane? <laughs> how did I stay sane? Um, I'm very thankful that my teammates understand me and respected my quirks. Um <laughs> because I was able just to sort of close my door in my apartment and they knew to sort of leave me alone. We were also able to do a bit of sightseeing in Queensland. We're up far north um, in Mm. Cairns. We would visit waterfalls and sort of have that cleansing of water over you, I think really helped. So we're Mm. very, I was extremely thankful to be in such a beautiful place in that bubble. So don't get me wrong, the WBL did a great job of um, hosting it and um, making it all run smoothly. Just the environment was difficult. You are so tight, though, on and off the court with the Flyers. What was the secret? It's not easy to create a culture like that. Uh, What is the secret? Um, I think just the team that they put together. um, Not only was it a team of really terrific basketball players, but really just amazing people. Um, And as I said, they really respected me and my quirks. And um, conversely, we all respected each other. Um, we got along well. It was just a super laid back, yeah, easygoing team. And we didn't have to work hard to create a culture. It was just the people that were there. So hopefully a lot of the same players re-sign. And I think that might be the case. Um, and we can have another successful season next season. Uh, how about the injury in the latter part of last season? Grade 2 MCL tear. What did that teach you about resilience? Oh, I feel like my whole basketball career has been teaching me about resilience. <laughs> I'm sick of it. Um, no, um, I'm resilient already. <laughs> stop testing me. Um, that was devastating. Um, the previous season, it was sort of the same. I broke my wrist um, right towards finals and uh, it seemed to be happening again to me. So just the timing of it um, felt awful. And um, I'm so thankful for our strength and conditioning coach and our physio, um, 
Alex and Kathleen up in the hub who got me back on court because it seemed extremely unlikely. But, um, yeah, to be able to get back on the court and contribute in that grand final and a grand final win um, was very special. Yeah, did it make it more because of all the factors? Oh, yeah. I think that was sort of, I think that was the hardest championship um, to win, in my opinion. I'm probably very biased because we did win it. (laughs) Um, But just the, um, yeah, condensed season and um, bubble-like scenario that we're in, it was really trying and really testing. And um, yeah, our team uh, came out trumps and I'm just so proud of everyone. Well, being Victorian, I think all Victorians have, have developed that resistance you referred to because you had it worse than most. How did you get through that lengthy lockdown? Were you in Victoria at the time? Sure was. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, at home. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, last year was really hard. Um, it was difficult sort of being a Victorian and being stuck in our house, couldn't go further than five kilometres from our house for exercise, could only leave our house for an hour a day and then watching other states run a full-fledged season and playing basketball. And so watching that from afar was extremely difficult and um, we came together late for pre-season. We had to go quarantine in Brisbane for two weeks where it was sort of a soft quarantine where we could get out and train once a day. Mm. Um, But it was just really difficult and... um, you know, just credit to every single Victorian who has dealt with these lockdowns because it's not easy and seems to be never ending, but um, we all get through it and, yeah, we'll all be stronger for it. I think I heard a dog in the background uh, earlier. Uh, did that save your sanity? <laughs> it sure did. My little Cosmo is just um, the best dog and um, we were exercising together, doing our outdoor running sessions together and, um, yeah, very thankful that... I have him around because the cuddles and, um, yeah, the outdoor workouts together were um, lifesavers. Did you get him doing the push-up challenge? (laughs) Um, Because of my wrist, no, I haven't. (laughs) He he got off lightly. Uh, Of course, the uh, WNBL, as you said, did did go ahead, albeit hubbed. Now, you've played in that competition for so many years now. Uh, How do you think it's evolved? (laughs) I'm I'm not alluding to to age. I'm alluding to experience, Jenna. (laughs) It's come a long way, though, hasn't it? It has. It has come a long way and, um, you know, having every game broadcast last year was just such a fantastic step in the right direction, but I still think we've got so much further to go and I'm loving seeing um, how much better women in sport is being represented in the media and um, Mm. I think we've still got a long way to go though and um, making it, I don't think it'll ever be equal, but making it um, not as big of a gap and, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we can keep building on that and um, continue to make the league as great as what it is. Yeah, so how important will the Home World Cup next year be to that continuing develop, particularly for basketball? We've got a few women's sport World Cups coming up over the next five or six years. Uh, How uh, integral is it that those events are a success? Yeah, I just hope that, um, you know, it it is a success. Just it seems... um, just the state of the world it seems I, I don't know I'm not confident in anything <laughs> these days but um, yeah I'm really looking forward to that just the cricket world cup right before COVID was mm. just an amazing success we've got the basketball world cup we've got the soccer world cup for women so we've got some really great things coming in I think is there a netball world cup there coming is. as well there is 2027 yeah <laughs> so it's just so great um, and I just encourage everyone to get behind um, 
all these different sports because seeing them live, I think, is just an experience that you do need to go see and um, just super thankful that it's on home soil because having the World Cup in Spain and playing against Spain um, in the semi-final and their crowd, I just can't wait for that crowd to be for us. Yeah, and how important is it for the home team to to be in a final? Is that the barometer for success? It makes a massive difference. Spain did really well in the World Cup in 2018. I remember Brazil back in the day in 2006 did really well on home soil. So it definitely um, is an advantage having that um, home crowd, um, your family and friends close by. Um, it makes a huge difference. So uh, I think it's just going to be uh, great next year. Yeah, it's great exposure to for women's sport. Now, now you said you're not sure if you'll ever see the uh, the gender equality or the gender gap rather closed. That's quite a depressing thought, isn't it? Why do you think that is? Why can't we get equal pay for our female athletes, equal exposure, equal television broadcast? What is the answer to that? Oh, I wish I had the answer because I'd be yelling it off rooftops. And you'd be, and you'd be a millionaire. Um, yeah, at the moment I don't have an answer for that, but um, I appreciate people like you getting um, women athletes on their program um, to keep, you know, keep the exposure out there, keep the knowledge out there. Um, and I think as much as it's frustrating that it's only little steps every once in a while, um, they eventually turn into big steps. So, I think um, it's definitely better, but as I said, I think it can always be better again. And so I'll keep pushing it and, um, yeah, trying to get women's sport out there as much as I can. Keep flying the flag. Um, do you think it's a, a problem that three of the sports you mentioned that have World Cups uh, coming home in the next few years, uh, cricket, basketball and football, they often have competitions and situations where women need to go overseas to actually make any money. Uh, does that make our teams better or is that just a sad reality of the state of the finances in, in women's sport in Australia? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think it goes both ways because I think some of the um, leagues overseas are super, super successful. When you come into a World Cup scenario or Olympic scenario, um, a lot of countries have different styles of play. So having um, locals playing in those leagues, I think is a real benefit. But generally the reason women are going over there is because there is more money. The money isn't here in Australia. So I do think there are benefits of having athletes overseas playing in those leagues. But if we can keep them on home soil, um, I think that is the ultimate goal to be able to pay similar to what they are getting overseas um, and then continuing to build those leagues here. And hopefully we can then attract, um, you know, Europeans or Americans to come out to Australia and play in our leagues and increase our league and make our juniors better and, um, you know, keep pushing the sport forward. Jenna O'Hay has also had a successful career abroad. Coming up, we head stateside. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Starting with Jenna O'Hay, Jenna, your move to play in the States. It is a mecca for basketball. How did your first transfer there come about? Uh, I was playing in uh, the Opals at the World Cup and the assistant coach of the American team at the time was the head coach of the LA Sparks. And so she watched me play and offered me a contract and I went over there and I spent three years in LA and three years in uh, Seattle. And it was, yeah, a wonderful experience. 
playing in some of just the greatest stadiums, like playing in Madison Square Gardens, it's the wow. dream come true, and playing <laughs> against, yeah, just the best players in the world are all in that league, and um, to train and play against them night in and night out was um, just so great for my basketball career. Yeah, how tough is it for Aussies to adapt when they, they get to an environment like that? Yeah, as I said, um, you know, everywhere around the world is a different style of play. And I think um, in Australia, we're very, we like to play, run in transition, but we're also very much a team-oriented um, league. You know, we pass the ball around and we have offensive sets and stuff, whereas America, it's a bit more of an athletic league, up and down, one-on-one skill. Um, so it is different. And I think that's why Americans love Australians on their team so much, because we're willing to fill a role and fit in wherever is necessary and um, just, there's been some Australians who have had just terrific careers over in America. Yeah, they sure have. Although the recent situation with Charlotte Heel heading over them being cut after minimal minutes, it's quite brutal as well, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, that that was rough. Is not. I don't even think that's the right word for it. Um, for a 19-year-old to go over there and be treated like that, I don't think mm. that's right at all. And I know that uh, she's going to come back better because of it um she's just a terrific talent and she showed that in the WNBL this season and um, I'm looking forward to seeing her bounce back and go back over there and um, prove Chicago wrong what's her uh, mentality is it to stick with it and just try and get back into that mix for the WNBA yeah I um messaged her after I found out and um yeah she wrote back and said she's going to keep working so I've got no doubt that um She'll continuing to improve. She's only 19 years old playing, you know, mm. over there against 22-year-olds and over. Um, so I know she'll be better for the experience and she has great family support who will be there for her. So um, watch this space with Shyla Hill. Building resilience, Jenna. <laughs> <laughs> All about it, isn't it? Bloody resilience. <laughs> uh, what was the most important thing you learned about moving away from home and, and going overseas to play? Oh, Good question. It's really out of Most out of your comfort zone, isn't it? There's no language barrier, but it's it's a different environment, right? Yeah. Well, I did play three years in France, so that was definitely um, mm. language barrier, which is really <laughs> difficult. So in America, I actually really enjoyed it. I um, have I made some really good friendships over there. The basketball, I learned so much, and I think all those things. Um, watching, you know, the likes of a Sue Bird, how she goes about it. I think I've learned a lot from her and been able to. Um, bring that into sort of my leadership and how I um, conduct myself. And so I just tried to be a sponge over there and learn as much as I could from some just the all-time greats. You mentioned the stint in France. Was that different again? It sounds enormously glamorous. (laughs) It was difficult. Um, I went over when I was uh, 21 and I did not enjoy it at all. I found it just so hard being so far away from home and, you know, phones and technology weren't as they are now. Um, so I found that really difficult. But the second stint I went back, I was, um, this will actually sound glamorous, but I was on, um, I was in the south of France and living <laughs> near the beach. And um, so that was a lot better. And I had some really great teammates and our team was really successful. So um, as much as the language barrier was hard, um, I enjoyed that time there. And I had lots of visitors come over because who doesn't want to visit, um, visit the south of France? So that was fun. And I learned a lot over there. And <laughs> Yeah, I'm thankful just to be able to play basketball and travel the world and um, live in all these wonderful spots. Yeah, come clean. I'm picturing you lying on the beach in the south of France with a croissant and a cafe au lait. How hard was it really? (laughs) (laughs) It was winter while I was over there, so not quite like that. (laughs) Was was the playing mentality 
different again to what you found later in America? Yeah, it was. Everywhere you go is really different. And while I was in France, we're also playing in EuroLeague. So you go and play against all the other um, good European teams. So you're constantly playing a different style um, of game. And I think France is a bit more um, very team oriented. Like most players in the team would get sort of six to 12 shots per game, very um, equal scoring, um, spread the ball around. So, yeah, I've learned a lot um, from all the different places I've played and just very thankful for my journey so far. Did you learn to speak French? By the time I left, I could understand pretty much everything. It's just um, I couldn't make the French sounds with my mouth. I'm not quite (laughs) sure. I knew what I needed to say, but, yeah, it wouldn't... (laughs) They didn't understand me at all. Yeah, rolling the R's is pretty uh, pretty tricky. I can't do it. I tried so hard. It just wasn't possible. Oh, it's funny though. When you do try, they smile and nod and then answer you in English. It's, uh, it's quite Yes, that would happen to me all the time. I think they appreciated the fact that I did try. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Now, how mm. hard was it to strike a balance between a career here, a career overseas? Female athletes, of course, as we mentioned, are still shuttling all over the globe to make an income. What does it do to your personal life? Oh, um, what did it do? Yeah, it's hard to stay in touch with people. You know, with the time difference and stuff, it's always difficult. I did rescue my dog over there and brought him back to Australia, so that was nice. I think I've always been close to my family, and since coming home, um, I just love, well, harder now with lockdown and stuff, but just love, you know, catching up with my brothers, um, seeing my nephews, going to mum and dad's house for dinner. I just appreciate those things so much more after being away for so long. Um, I think you can take those things for granted. So just um, very thankful for my family. Your uh, brothers are basketballers too, aren't they? I think one played in Ireland. So are your parents just used to their kids jetting off all over the world? (laughs) I think so. You know, when I was younger, they would always take me to the airport and, you know, come to the terminal with me. And then it sort of got to the point where they would just sort of like drop me off and saying bye. And now it's like, you can Uber. (laughs) We'll see you when I see you. So, yeah, it's definitely changed over the years. And, yeah, they're very used to their kids being here, there and everywhere. Oh, the gloss has worn off. (laughs) You mentioned France. Uh, I think you're in Canberra for a stint. Uh, Of course, you grew up in Victoria and have been to so many other places and basketball's given you so many opportunities. Where would be your favourite place to live? Well, I used to always say Melbourne, but the past 18 months, I think that's changed. Um, (laughs) Oh, that's harsh. I think... Australia is definitely my favourite place in the world. But if I could take, you know, my friends and family anywhere... Um, I just love Barcelona. I think that city is just everything. So if I could take, yeah, my family, my friends and my dog with me, it would definitely be to Barcelona. Oh, wow. Well, when you get there, can you uh, send me your address? Because I'll definitely lob up for a visit. (laughs) No worries at all. (laughs) Jenna O'Hay has been all over the world. Next, we talk about where it all began. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Where did the basketball part of your life start? Oh, um, pretty much straight out of the womb. <laughs> I had two older brothers and uh, they loved basketball. And so there was a rule that I wasn't allowed to play basketball until I made a basket in our backyard hoop. And I did that when I was five years old and haven't looked back since. <laughs> so what was your first, was that club basketball? Was that your first experience? 
Yeah, uh, my first experience didn't actually go too well. Um, I was in Shirelgan and so I'd made the, in Gippsland, uh, mm. country Victoria. And so I'd made my bathroom outside hoop and mum and dad signed me up for a game. And I went down, I got subbed on and the first ball that was passed to me hit me on the end of my finger and jarred my finger. And I ran up <laughs> to mum in the stands and just cried with her. So my first experience wasn't great, but um, it went up from there, thank gosh. <laughs> yeah, and we're all very relieved it did. Uh, were you into <laughs> other sports as well? I always played netball and I really enjoyed tennis when I was in primary school. That's a really interesting transition between netball and basketball and a lot of netballers who then go and play basketball find it difficult to go between the two because there's so many restrictions when you're a netball and in as much as where you can go on the court and uh, not being able to move with the ball. How did you manage that? I think going the way that I went basketball to netball helped me. The way that you have to move so much on the netball court helped with my basketball sort of moving off the ball and the skill transfer from basketball to netball was um, quite natural. Mm. The netball mums didn't like me because I would shoot Uh, netball like a basketball but it was effective (laughs) so I stuck with it but yeah I think my netball really helped with basketball and it was only because I got a um, scholarship to the AIS for basketball first that I sort of chose that sport and went ahead with it. Mm. Is that when you realised that you're going to be pretty good at the basketball caper? Yeah I think so. Going up to the AIS was a goal of mine so I got that when I was 15 and yeah, very thankful for my time there. It sort of helps you be, to learn how to be a professional. And yeah, I enjoyed my time up there. And from, yeah, then on, it was all uphill. Yeah. What uh, age were you when you headed up to the AOS? Yeah, I was 15. Wow. Um, and in year 10. So you were still schooling in that old traditional manner of uh, the athletes come into the AOS, they live there, they continue their schooling and uh, as well as training and it's a, a completely elite sport environment. Was that your experience? That's the one. And do, do you think that's something that's missing now? We've seen the, the AIS sort of not host as many teams and not be at the forefront anymore because these centres of excellence are spread all over the country. Look, I loved my time there and I think just with the weights and the trainings and the basketball, just time management skills, all that to learn at such a young age was so beneficial for me. I don't, I, I, I don't know the reasons why they went away from that, but yeah, in terms of my basketball, the AIS helped me tremendously. Moving away at 15 though, were you homesick? Um, yes. <laughs> there were many weekends when mum and dad made the drive from Melbourne to Canberra to see me for a weekend because they knew I needed to see them. So um, there were some times when, yeah, I was definitely homesick. Yeah, sometimes it can get a lot. But again, I learned a lot of resilience back then. <laughs> you should start it early. <laughs> Do you recall your first spot in the senior Australian team? Because I know you came through the, the youth sides as well. But do you remember that call up? Uh, I have a really bad memory, so no. <laughs> I wish I had a story for you, but I do not. <laughs> well, all you need to know now is that you developed into a leader of that side. Uh, you talked about uh, sacrificing a little bit. Uh, how much do you have to sacrifice when you take on leadership responsibilities? Oh, well, I'm sure everyone is different. but uh, And I think as I'm evolving as a leader, I'm getting better at making sure I'm looking after myself as well as my teammates. Whereas um, I think early on I sacrificed probably too much Mm. um, because I thought that's what I had to do. So I'm definitely learning as a leader as I go. And 
Um, there's always going to be sacrifice in any team sport, but especially being a leader, you just want to make sure that your team is as successful as possible. And if that means that you need to sacrifice a little bit, that's what happens. But yeah, I'm definitely evolving and uh, getting better with that stuff. Who have you had in, in roles of, of mentorship or people that you've looked up to for support? Oh, I think that's, I think you can um, see it all around you if you want to. I think I, I mentioned her earlier, but Sue Bird, when I was over in America, I just loved her leadership capabilities. And I think I learned a lot from her. But I also think throughout my career, there's been people, and I won't name those names, but of things that I didn't want to be like. Um, So I think everywhere that I've sort of gone, I've tried to either learn what I would like to be like and implement those things or what I don't want to be like and trying to learn and evolve as much as I can throughout all those things. So I'm still learning today and still evolving with all of that. So um, I want to be the best leader I can be. So I'm trying to learn in every aspect of my life, I think can be a learning experience if you look at it that way. You're developing off-court as well over the last few years. Uh, off-court, you're a community custodian for the AAS and for Lifeline. Uh, how did that role evolve? Were you approached or was that something you wanted to do after your own experiences? Um, a little bit of both. After my uncle took his own life, I did a lot of research and just the numbers and statistics shocked me. So I'm, I realised just how many people were dealing with it. And so we created um, a Lifeline round in the WNBL. Mm. where we raised money and raised awareness. And from that, um, the AAS and Lifeline approached me to be a part of their program. So I did some of my own and then this came about. And the first year I was involved with it in 2019, we flew sort of all over Australia and um, we're spreading awareness and meeting with people face to face. And it was just such an enjoyable experience. And obviously sometimes it's extremely hard. You have to be extremely vulnerable and it can take a lot out of you. But Hearing people's stories and hearing people open up to you when they haven't opened up before was just really great. And then COVID hit, so we couldn't travel around Australia. So it's um, an evolving program again. So there's been more Zooms, which isn't, um, as we know, quite as personable. Mm. But we're still trying to, yes, spread awareness, raise money, all that for Lifeline because um, they do such an incredible job. Well, speaking about raising money, the Lifeline round went gangbusters when you initiated that did that blow you away the the support that came from the community I was absolutely speechless you know I wasn't sure I I wasn't sure what would come of it Um, I had really great support from the GM of my team at the time Justin Justin Nelson um, and the GM of the WBL and Sally Phillips Um, they really got behind me and helped me organize that and then just the way that each team and each member of the WNBL got behind it, spread the awareness, the money that we raised. I was absolutely speechless and so thankful for that support um, in that WNBL community. And um, we did it again in the hub season and just the same support again. So I know a lot of people deal with mental health illnesses. um, And so the more we can spread awareness, it's just so important. And yeah, very thankful for the WNBL community for um, getting behind me and getting behind the cause. Yeah, why is it such a tough topic for people to talk about? Uh, I think there's a tremendous stigma behind it, which is why so many athletes are opening up and trying to reduce that stigma. Mm. I also think that a lot of people don't know about mental health and don't understand it, quite like we understand, for example, an injury. If I roll my ankle, you ice it, you elevate it. We all know those things. Mm. 
but the research and the knowledge behind mental health illnesses is a long way behind and I think we still need to um, have a lot of education around that so that people do understand it more and everyone is going to be different it's yeah not like a physical injury Mm. but it affects you in a similar way it can be really debilitating and I think that's why it's so important to continue to reach out to friends and family and make sure that they're okay and know that there are people that you can talk to if you need it. Yeah, of course, it affects everybody. I feel like we're seeing it more in athletes. Is that because they're having the the courage to speak up or is it more prevalent the higher the, the pressure gets ratcheted up in, in professional athletic careers? I I think there's a lot of factors involved with this and I think social media plays a big part. Mm. I think it's sort of this double-edged sword where athletes need to use their social media to, you know, for sponsorships and ambassadorships and a way to earn money is through social media these days. But I think with social media, you can get a lot of backlash, a lot of negativity, and I think that Mm. really affects athletes. Um, They take it to heart and... When you're seeing that stuff a lot, it, 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 it's really harmful. And I also think that the pressure because of sort of the social media and how much more it's sort of like in everyone's face because of it can really, yeah, add to anxieties about performance. And I think I just encourage uh, more and more athletes to stand up and say how they're feeling. And it's just a strength, not a weakness to ask for help. Mm. Um, social media is an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's one thing to read about your performance, uh, say, in the what used to be a newspaper, which is now just an online <laughs> document. Uh, but when someone's making personal comments, is there training within our sporting groups to help athletes deal with that and, and know when to not respond or not let it get to them? Yeah, I th- um, there's a lot more sort of education around that these days. And I think the whole betting thing is adding another layer. There's mm. been in the news recently about athletes getting death threats and everything because people are losing money and attacking those athletes because they've gambled and bet money and lost. Um, so there's just all these other factors that are involved these days with athletes. And yeah, it just adds to all the pressure and there's definitely training and there's definitely people that we can go to when, when and if we do get those attacks personally online. Now, we've done the whole resilience thing. You've built a lifetime worth of resilience <laughs> in not that many years, I might add. But it, it's something that's key in all walks of life. If you were talking to a young female coming through the sporting world now, what do you think the advice you'd like to give her would be? Oh, it sounds pretty simple, but I think you have to have fun and enjoy yourself because if not, it's going to be a really long, hard road. Just to be able to find ways to enjoy yourself is really important and to surround yourself with people who can protect you and keep you out of harm's way. And so how do you have fun and relax, chill out and get away from your professional life? Oh, well, Cosmo and I go for walks along the (laughs) beach all the time. I just being an indoor sport, I really enjoy getting outdoors. I live near the beach, so going for walks along the beach and feeling that sea breeze is really cleansing for me. And then also being back in Australia now, being close to my family, being able to go and have dinner with my family and just sort of get away from the pressures of elite sport and just relax in the comfort of the home I grew up in really helps me. Jenny, you've had so many amazing experiences throughout your career. You're about to create some more, no doubt, in Tokyo with the Olympic Games. But when you look back on your life so far, is there a highlight that stands out for you? 
There sure is. The bronze medal at the London Olympic Games. I remember we lost the semi-final to USA and I was pretty upset. And I got a message from my brother saying, hey, well, he calls me kid. Hey, kid, there's, <laughs> there's not many Olympians in the world and even less Olympic medalists in the world. So go get that bronze. And to stand up on that medal podium and see my family in the crowd while that medal was put around my neck still gives me goosebumps talking about it today. So hopefully we can go one better in Tokyo. You're heading back to the Olympics after a gap. You weren't in Rio and the team really missed you. Is this a whole different experience for you this time around? Yeah, it really is. It's been nine years between Olympic Games. Which I wasn't going to mention my that. Mind. <laughs> blows my mind. And obviously I'm just in a completely different phase of my life and career from my first Olympics. And then this Olympics is just going to be a completely different feel. So there's just so many yeah, differences from that first experience that I did have. And I think it is just every experience in life is pretty different. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. And yeah, hopefully we can be as successful as possible. Yes, no rest for you now, Jenna O'Hay. Congratulations on your wonderful career so far. All the very best for the upcoming Olympic campaign. We will be cheering you on from home. Thank you so much for taking some time to chat to us on Trailblazers. Thank you so much for having me.